Today, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 1. You can find this in your pew Bible on page 517. It's right after the book of 2 Samuel. You'll notice that 1 Kings chapter 1 is 53 verses long. For the sake of time, I will not read all of chapter 1 today, but in this sermon I'm going to tell you the narrative and some different parts of the history here. So let's begin simply with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will illumine this extended passage of Scripture to our hearts, and even this complex history help us have the wisdom to see how it rightly applies to us today and even illuminates the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our hearts. Encourage us, Lord, with your presence and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series in the the life of Solomon, we come here to 1 Kings chapter 1 where Solomon will ascend to the throne of Israel and become the new king after David. But it's rather complex in how all this happens. There's a surrounding drama that's involved with this and a lot of details in this passage of Scripture in this lengthy chapter. But for today's purpose... I'd like to summarize some of the lengthy points here under three subject matters. And that is the silence, the serpent, and the symbol. Those are my three headings today. The silence, the serpent, and the symbol. There's silence in this passage and there's silence even before this passage in this sense. There's silence about Solomon in the book of 2 Samuel toward the latter end, and there's silence from Solomon here in the majority of 1 Kings chapter 1. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In the book of 2 Samuel, there's a strange silence about Solomon. We saw last week in 2 Samuel chapter 12, yes, that's where he was born. Well, after that, for the rest of 2 Samuel, you don't hear Anything about Solomon. And then a lot of the ending of 2 Samuel focuses on the last year of David's life. In the last year of David's life, he's 70 years old, and there's a massive rebellion from Absalom. Absalom tries to seize the throne from his father and even kill his father. And the name Absalom, listen to this, means father of peace. Isn't that ironic? This father of peace, Absalom, tries to take the throne, but it's a counterfeit peace. It's a false peace. And so now we move in here from this strange silence in 2 Samuel. We come now to 1 Kings chapter 1. And still, there's a strange silence from Solomon because you don't hear him talk. He's not saying anything anything until the very end of this chapter. As this chapter unfolds, when you start reading it, 
People start talking about Solomon. Nathan talks about Solomon. Bathsheba talks about Solomon. David will talk about him. uh, Zadok, the priest, will talk about him. Benaiah, one of David's mighty men, will talk about Solomon. All the people will gather around and say, Long live Solomon. And even Solomon's enemies will talk about him. Here's my point. In the way that this narrative is written and structured, Solomon is silent until after he's enthroned. Until after he becomes king. You see a massive contrast here with Absalom. Absalom tried to exalt himself, promote himself throughout 2 Samuel and the ending there of 2 Samuel. But here, silent Solomon is promoted by others. Silent Solomon doesn't have a word recorded from his mouth until after he's enthroned. What you learn from this is that Solomon is actually living the wisdom that he would later write in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Proverbs 25 verse 6 says, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better for he to say to you, Come up here, than that you be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. What you understand as well is that at this time in history, In Solomon's life at this time, he is functioning like a good Adam. The old Adam, the bad Adam, what did he do in the Garden of Eden? He tried to seize kingship from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what that tree symbolized. Wisdom, rule, kingship. Adam tried to promote himself like Absalom did earlier in 2 Samuel. Solomon is not promoting himself. God is promoting Solomon. It's time now for Solomon to be promoted and to rule. But there's also another contrasting reference here in this chapter. Not simply with Absalom in 2 Samuel, but with a man named Adonijah. Yes, Absalom tried to take the throne. Now, Solomon's half-brother is going to try to take the throne ahead of Solomon and promote himself. But in this chapter, Adonijah is also going to be humiliated and brought down. So what you understand in the flow of history here, there's two counterfeits that come ahead of Solomon before he ascends. And notice this. This is the, the, the first recorded words that we have from Solomon in... 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 52. It says this, Then Solomon said, and this he's talking about Adonijah, his enemy, his rival who tried to beat him to the throne. Solomon said, If Adonijah proves himself a worthy man, not a hair of him will fall to the earth. But if, if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So Solomon sent them to bring Adonijah down from the altar And he came and fell before King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your house. This is why, right now, this brings up my second word I want to talk about today. And that is the word serpent. We've seen Solomon's silence. Now he breaks his silence in verse 52. Let's talk about this serpent. The serpent is Adonijah. And you'll you'll hear real quick why I call him a serpent. Because it's very explicit in this passage. 
In this chapter, Adonijah is a false king. He's a, he, be, he functions as a false priest and a false brother. What happens is in verse 5, it says that he exalted himself to crown him, to make himself king. He gets some people around him to, to support him. And then in verse 9, he makes a sacrifice of sheep and oxen and a fatted calf. And in verse 9, he sacrifices all these animals on the stone of Zoheleth. That word Zoheleth means the stone of the serpent. Here is a priest. He's functioning as a priest here, sacrificing to God, so to speak. And he is having a stone of a serpent as an altar. And it's also located in this place called Enrogel. Now, this word Enrogel can mean spring of the spy, but also it can be translated spring of the slanderer. He's a slanderer. He's a serpent. He's trying to promote himself as a king. And also he's a false brother to Solomon because he invites everybody to his crowning kingship party except Solomon. Solomon's not invited. Now, moving forward with this issue, what you have in this chapter is that Nathan hears what's going on. And Nathan has a plan. That's the prophet Nathan who confronted David many years earlier about Bathsheba. Well, he hears what's going on about Adonijah and he brings in Bathsheba and he tells Bathsheba, listen, David does not know what's happening out here about Adonijah. we got to go in and tell him. And this word knowledge, listen to this, is very important. It's going to be used three times in this ensuing passage. It's used, first of all, uh, it's used right now in verse 11. He says, David does not know what's going on, Bathsheba. So he tells Bathsheba a plan. We're going to go in there, and Bathsheba, you're going to tell him what's happening about Adonijah, because if Adonijah reigns, we're dead. He's going to kill Solomon. He's going to kill you. He's going to kill me. And so Bathsheba goes in there and says, David, you do not know What's happening out there? In verse 18, that's the next time this word knowledge is used. And then Nathan busts into the scene and he says, David, in verse 27, you have not made known to your servant who will be the king after you. Notice this. Three times in this quick narrative right here, the word knowledge or the act of knowing is used. It's indicating this. David does not know what's happening socially out there in Israel. He's ignorant of what's going on out there. Also, you see what's happening as well is that God wanted, he wanted Solomon to be the next king. Remember that? God loved Solomon at his birth. That was his choice, electing choice. He's the next king. Well, here, Nathan and Bathsheba in this chapter, they're functioning like Rebekah confronting Isaac. Remember, Isaac did not want to put the blessing upon Jacob. He wanted to put it on Esau. Well, David right now is functioning like a, kind of like an ignorant Isaac. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. He's 70 years old. He doesn't know what's happening socially with Adonijah, and so these two have a plan to wake him up. And so what happens, to summarize this chapter briefly, David responds and says, okay, yes, yeah, Solomon's the next king. Let's fight ceremony with ceremony. 
And so Adonijah had a ceremony. Let's have a ceremony for Solomon. They put Solomon on a mule, on David's mule. And everybody realizes, oh, Solomon is the true king. And then there's a party at Adonijah's house. He's rejoicing in his own kingship. And a man busts into the party. And Adonijah says, oh, you must have some good news for me. That's in verse 42. And the man says, no, it's not good news. Solomon has been declared king by your father, David. You're not the king. And everybody, everybody at the party just gets scared to death and leaves and leaves Adonijah by himself. Adonijah is also scared to death because he thinks Solomon will, will come now and kill him. So he runs to the altar and holds the horns of the altar as a safe haven, pleading for mercy. And that's why Solomon says, well... He gives this prohibition, or he gives this prohibition and says, or, or uh, probation, and says, If you prove yourself a worthy man, not one hair will fall from your head. But if wickedness is found in you, you will die. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, page two, which is chapter two in, in 1 Kings. Adonijah makes a major one, major mistake. He sends Bathsheba into Solomon's chambers just for one question. He wants to ask Solomon through Bathsheba, Solomon, can I marry a girl named Abishag? And when Solomon hears that, he is shocked and he's so angry. And he tells Bathsheba, why don't you go and ask to give the whole kingdom to him as well, mother? And Solomon gives an executive order right then to go and have Adonijah killed just because he asked if he could marry Abishag. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Why was Solomon so mad and upset whenever Adonijah, his rival, asked to marry Abishag? And the answer is this. Solomon understood the symbolism of this woman. This is my third term today, symbolism. We've seen silence. We've seen the serpent. Let's talk about the symbolism of this woman. Abishag. Solomon understood that Abishag was a symbol of the nation of Israel at this time in history. Whoever got this young, pretty, virgin girl would also receive God's virgin girl as the nation. There's an equivalence between Abishag and the nation of Israel. Solomon understood that. And so whenever this man grabbed for that woman and wanted that woman, it was equivalent to him grabbing for the throne over Israel and trying to be king and trying to usurp and replace Solomon again from the kingship. That's why this man deserved to die, just for asking for Abishag's hand in marriage. Now this all leads me to a very strange verse you're going to read here in verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 1. And this all explains as well why the book of 1 Kings is introduced with this very subject matter of Abishag. Look at verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, he's 70 years old, 
and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be salt for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young girl, woman, throughout all the territory of Israel. And they found Abishag the Shunammite, and they brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her. What this means is that King David did not know her sexually. What it confirms is that David is on his deathbed. David is dying. And also, you remember that familiar word that keeps coming up in the conversation between Bathsheba, Nathan, and David? Three times they say, David, you don't know what's going on. All of that is introduced with this narrative here, this story here of David not having the ability to know Abishag. What the author of 1 Kings is doing in this text, he's pointing out a correlation between David's inability to know Abishag sexually and David's inability to know what's happening in Israel socially. And therefore, David is on his deathbed. And therefore, there's a typology, a symbolism between beautiful, young, virgin Abishag and the nation of Israel. When you understand this typological aspect and symbolic aspect of this narrative, it pulls a lot of things together. Let me explain to you. Abishag is a beautiful, young virgin. Well, at this time in history, especially thematically, Israel is a beautiful, young virgin. She has just been re-virginized, purified, and cleansed. Because what happened at the very end of 2 Samuel? Look at 2 Samuel. If you see the title in your Bible, don't read it now. But at the very end of 2 Samuel, David has that census of the nation. God sends a plague upon the nation. And David's like, you're killing these sheep, the sheep of Israel. I'm the one who sinned against you. And then David goes to the threshing floor of Aruna and offers a sacrifice to God. And that place is the same place where the Solomon's temple would be built. And God accepted the sacrifice, cleansed the people, the nation of their sin, cleansed Israel, Israel's purified at the end of 2 Samuel. And now you have a symbol of Israel's purity in the person and the beauty of Abishag. So it ties together why 2 Samuel ends the way it does and why 1 Kings begins the way it does. And so here, just like Israel is looking for a new man, a new king, who will know her and rule her and be a good husband to her, Abishag also is 
looking for a new king in the person of Solomon. And and that's why Adonijah tries to grab for Abishai because he's trying to grab for Israel. Also, Abishag's name, her name means my father has wandered or my father has erred or made a mistake. Here you see clearly in the passage of Scripture, David seems to be falling back into his old sins. She needs, and he's the only really true father figure. David is the only father figure here in the beginning of 1 Kings. Israel needs a new father figure. Israel needs a new a new husband, a new king. God is going to promote him in the person of Solomon. Also, you remember, Abishag is a Shunammite. The word Shunammite means two resting places. The name Solomon means peace. And Solomon, when he got to know his beautiful, lovely wife, in the Song of Solomon, he would call her a Shulamite. Abishag is a Shunammite here in 1 Kings chapter 1. Then Solomon would call his woman a Shulamite. Some people have suggested that Abishag, the Shunammite, is actually also the woman that Solomon describes in the Song of Solomon. And he calls her there a Shulamite because she is now like Solomon. I think that's very convincing because Solomon, being ascended to the throne, maybe it's quite obvious that he would have married Abishag the Shunammite. That he would have married this person because she is the most beautiful girl in Israel. And then Solomon describes her in chapter 7 of Song of Solomon as how beautiful your feet and sandals are, O noble daughter. Your rounded hips are like jewels. Your navel is a rounded goblet. Your belly is a heap of wheat. Your breasts are like two fawns. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. And your head crowns you like Carmel. He is describing her beauty. And as we well know, it's the Song of Solomon is not simply about the love between a man and a woman. It is deep structure and deep meaning. It is about the love that God has for Israel, his people. Israel today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel today is the wife of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the husband. So the book of 1 Kings with the ascension of Solomon, it begins with this beautiful girl named Abishag, basically looking for a new king for Israel. And here, later, in the Song of Solomon, Solomon is going to refer to her as the Shulamite. This all reminds you how in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells the church, I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 It says that Christ sanctifies and cleanses his church with the washing of water by the word that he may present her to himself a glorious church. In other words, a beautiful Abishag. Not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. Also in Revelation 21, the church today is a new Jerusalem that came down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. One thing you can tell when you read this passage of Scripture and you tie all the symbolism together, what's going on with Abishag in the book of 1 Kings, you read the surface of it and you say, man, this is horrible. Why is David doing this? But when you understand the symbolism was happening in this passage, you start realizing that God actually does hide himself. God hides himself in passages like this. God hides righteousness and truth even under the cloak of somebody's sin. In the, in the scripture, you often see righteous deceptions where God is deceiving the evil one, where God is hiding his truth and his people in those moments. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15 says, You are a God who hides yourself. Here, the truth of Israel at this time in history is hidden in this picture of this woman who goes to try to warm David up. But David's on his deathbed. There's a new king that has come to the city. It's God's time. It's God's king. And his name means peace. And his name is Solomon. Of course, somebody came later who's greater than Solomon, and that's Jesus Christ. And a people came later who's greater than the old Israel, and that's you, the church. So whenever you come on Sunday mornings, God cleanses you. God makes you a virgin again, spiritually speaking, because He cleanses you. He makes you into His beautiful Abishag. He sings to you like He does in the Song of Solomon. He's passionately in love with you, waiting to kiss you with the lips of His Word, give you His law, to conform you more and more like Him. He looks at you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and says, You are so beautiful. And He says, I can't wait to see you face to face whenever you get to heaven and you are totally purified and you resemble your Lord Jesus Christ in ultimate purity. All that eschatological hope we have every single uh, Sunday when we come to the Lord and we, in, we acknowledge our true King Solomon, our true King of Peace. This is a love story of God with His people. This is how God is dealing with serpents that try to come in and take the throne wrongfully. This is how God is teaching you to be like a Solomon with wisdom. Don't praise yourself. Don't be a serpent for grabbing kingship or positions that you shouldn't have at the time. Be silent like Solomon and realize how much the Lord loves you because you're in Christ Jesus. You are the Lord's Shulamite because He loves you in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for the beauty of the Gospel. We give you thanks how you hide yourself in so many ways, in providence, in Scripture, and you reveal your truth, Lord, even under the nose and under the sin of mankind. And even you hid yourself most clearly on the cross of Christ. On that bloody cross, in the, in the sight of all the world, there was God saving the world, and the world did not know it. In Christ's name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen.